Hey, Redemption Arcadia. My name is Stephanie Shumate. I'm the operations manager here. Today, our reading is from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is the word of the Lord. Greetings, Redemption Arcadia. Good to virtually see you again. Glad you're with us uh, today for uh, our service. Uh, I want to give you a few little updates. First of all, uh, this next week is Holy Week, Easter week. Uh, We are going to have a very similar Easter service, so to speak, uh, recorded for you for Sunday. But we're also going to be doing a Good Friday service as well. We're going to be recording that and posting that Uh, for you on Friday. It'll be a little bit shorter than these other services we've been doing and pretty much driven by music and readings, but it'll be wonderful. Uh, I want to say that uh, early on in this process, we talked about possibly having a prayer time in our parking lot on Easter Sunday morning, and we've decided against doing that, uh, especially with uh, the governor's recent stay-at-home order. So we've decided to nix that in case you were wondering about that. We're not going to be doing that. You heard uh, from Tyler James already about the Jesus Changed My Life uh, program that we're doing, and we'd really love for you to be able to participate in that as well, and uh, make sure that you get a chance to look at Tyler's example uh, video uh, in addition to that. Uh, Other than that, you know, under this new normal, for the time being, things have been going well. We've been having uh, big R. Uh, redemption Zoom meetings every week and getting updates from the various congregations and everybody seems to be uh, trudging along just fine, uh, getting used to uh, all of these new routines in our life and we hope and pray that you are uh, as well. A lot more praying going on these days, uh, which is actually a good thing. Again, I mentioned uh, a few weeks back that one of Tyler Johnson's goals for Redemption Church was that we would become a, even more of a praying church in 2020, and that certainly is happening. And so, uh, again, a little silver lining uh, in this cloud. Uh, before we get into the Lord's Prayer, there's one other thing I wanted to mention. Uh, as, as what almost always happens when there is a crisis such as this, uh, people begin to muse about 
what God is doing in the midst of this. And of course, been hearing from some people about how this virus is God's judgment on sinful humankind. And that's what we need to take from this, that, that God has finally had enough and he's judging us for our sin through this virus. Maybe, maybe, uh, but we should not exclude the possibility, the, the very real possibility that this virus in a way that only he understands right now is actually his grace and mercy. This is actually him expressing his grace and mercy to us. We should search the scriptures and be reminded that his word tells us often how there is meaning and purpose in suffering, in challenges, in tribulation, and in disruption. We probably don't see it now, that's perfectly understandable, and in fact, it's perfectly understandable that we'd be a little bit upset with God the way we perceive him handling things right now. I get that, but remember, with God, redemption often comes at unexpected and unanticipated times, and almost always, again, in my life, as I've looked back on the most difficult parts of my life, that's when I really begin to understand how God worked in the midst of those challenges. So just remember, we can't be absolutely sure exactly what God is doing in the midst of this other than we know that Jesus has told us, the Apostle Paul has told us, the Bible continually tells us that uh, in times of challenge, in times of tribulation, we actually are able to find ourselves in many ways because God is working through that. Uh, we develop perseverance, we develop patience, we develop perspective, so remember that. We are continuing in the Lord's Prayer today in Matthew chapter 6 again. We're going through this very slowly, uh, bit by bit. Last week we talked about the word hallowed. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so we zeroed in on that, on that word. And that word literally means honored or set apart, holy and righteous. And yes, one of the big things we talked about, and, and we should remember this, is that that hallowedness is imputed to us by the grace of Jesus Christ through faith. That when we come to Christ, we actually become consecrated ourselves. We become hallowed. We become set apart. And so this week now, we flow into verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I want you to think about this prayer, our Father who is in heaven. Just think about sort of the narrative flow of it. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. So what comes after the verse we're looking at today? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What comes next is a request. Give us this day your daily bread. And then another request, forgive us our transgressions as we forgive those who have transgressed against us. And then yet another request, and deliver us from evil. Okay, so you can see now, I hope, that everything we've been doing in this prayer up until uh, now, and including today, is setting us up for how we can properly request things from God. I've been saying for a couple weeks now, this, this prayer is about God. God is the focus. We don't start the prayer by saying, hey God, here you go. Here's what I want. We start with our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. And now today we talk about this act of submission and acknowledgement. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth 
as it is in, in heaven. So think about it this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's our reverence for him. Do we start this prayer with our reverence for him? Then your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our response to uh, the reverence that we have for him. We want his kingdom. We want his will. And we want it here. We want it with us and we want it now. And, And we're acknowledging his awesomeness and his deity. And that leads to what we would call right requests. That's what we're going to look at on April 19th after Easter. We're going to start looking at that. The right request for the basic requirements of life are daily bread. Get us through today, God. Get us through today. Genuine needs. Our right requests for right relationships. Uh, forgive us our transgressions as we go about and forgive others. Right relationships. And then our right requests for protection and, and obedience. And deliver us from sin, deliver us from, from evil. There's, a, there's truly a beautiful progression of, of wisdom here. I'm reminded that Psalm 27, David writes this psalm. And in it, he says that God calls us to seek his face. This prayer, the Lord's prayer, begins with us seeking God's face. And when we first seek God's face, as this prayer calls us to, we then have the discernment and the wisdom to make the right requests. Another way to say it is this. And Jesus teaches this in the Gospels. Are you building your house on the rock? Or are you building your house on sand? Are you building your life, your, your, your house on a firm foundation? Or are you building it on something that's just going to wash away when trouble comes? And so now, this verse, verse 10 your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I get the sense in reading about it in talking to people about it that this might be the most obscure part of this prayer. I mean, what exactly does this mean? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What would it mean if all of that happened. It it feels like this is the part of the prayer that's most open to interpretation. And I think that anyone who has ever prayed this prayer would like their interpretation to be the correct interpretation. So let's break it down. I see this verse, this part of the prayer, as a prayer of contrast, a prayer of contrast. Now, you're going to have a slide inserted here that's going to help you understand what I'm about to uh, talk about. Uh, But looking at that slide now, you see that God is at the center of this prayer. He's the focus. We turn our face towards him. And now we say, your kingdom come. And, And to the left of your kingdom come is the alternative. My kingdom. Or your kingdom. Not God's kingdom, but your kingdom. Watching this video. On the right is what we're asking for, what this prayer asks for, God's kingdom. Your will be done is at the center. On the left is, well, no, my will. That's the alternative. But on, uh, but on the right is God's will. And then this one is, is a little bit more difficult. On earth as it is in heaven. On the left, you see that on earth, there's sin down here. But on the right, you see holiness because there's only holiness 
in heaven. There's only going to be holiness in the new Jerusalem once we get there. So this is a tough call. We're asking for God's kingdom to come here where there is sin. And the reason we're asking for God's kingdom to come here is because there is sin here. We would like the alternative that this prayer offers. So again, first and foremost, God is at the center. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then it is a prayer of contrast. And I want to say this again. What is the alternative to God's kingdom, God's will, and his kingdom reigning here on earth? Very simple. Focus on me. Focus on my kingdom. Focus on my will. Focus on what I want. So let's break it down into these three different sections. We'll talk first about kingdom. You and I, we are all kingdom builders. We're all building our little kingdom. Whatever that might be, and some people's kingdoms are bigger than others, but we're all trying to build these kingdoms. But as we build these kingdoms, have you noticed that glitches seem to happen in the midst of all of our kingdom building? So often we're building it and then a glitch happens or the kingdom just crumbles. The problem is we are not sovereign. So when we build our kingdom, it's really subject to somebody else's bigger, grander, more sovereign kingdom than ours. The problem, though, is that we're quite certain that our kingdom would be better for us than God's kingdom. We're just sure of that. We may not say it out loud, I know, but, but, but we think it. We think God just doesn't really know my situation. He really doesn't know exactly what would be best for me, but I do. I'm me. Of course I would know these things. So my kingdom would be better for me than God's kingdom. Well, no, not really. And so when we pray this prayer, and especially this part, verse 10, it is a prayer of submission. This is the part of the prayer where we fully submit to him. And we say, we are letting go of my kingdom, my will. And we want you now to reign. It's a prayer of acknowledgement. But this also means that to pray this prayer legitimately We need to be Christians. Jesus says this, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. That word see could be translated as no one can understand, no one can fathom, no one can pine for, no one can pursue the kingdom of God, unless they are born again. And so the only way we can submit is to humbly come to Jesus in repentance and faith. So there is a character of humility, of quietude, and of thankfulness about the kingdom of God. I'm going to talk more about that next week during the Easter message, this this character of quietude, of smallness that exists in the kingdom of God. Furthermore, consider these sayings of Jesus about the kingdom, and I'm not even going to read them all, but turn to Matthew chapter 13. You can pause the video now if you need to turn to Matthew chapter 13. Uh, We're going to start in verse 31, 31 through 32, and then we're going to skip down to 44. This is Jesus talking about the kingdom of God. Jesus put another parable before the people, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree 
so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. I love that juxtaposition there that Jesus talks about, how the kingdom, it's almost as if you can't really sense or see that it's coming upon us. In a a way, that was kind of my salvation experience. I I had no idea what God was doing in my life. And then almost seemed like the next thing I knew, I was praying the prayer to ask Jesus to come into my life. Now, it it was several months in the working. But but I look back on that and it was like, it, it was a covert operation by God to capture my heart. This is the kingdom of God. And then, and then if you turn over to verse 44, there's several more of these little parables about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. He'll give up everything for the kingdom of God. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought that pearl. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And when it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And all of us, Sometimes it struggle, we struggle to admit this, but all of, the, all of us, really, really, we would appreciate it if we could just get rid of injustice and evil. That's what Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is going to do. We will be rid of injustice and evil. And so those are some pictures of the kingdom of God. Honestly, could any of these things be said about our kingdoms that we're building here on earth? I don't think so. I don't think so. There is a difference between our kingdom and God's kingdom. And by the way, before we move on to the second section, I can can also understand some trepidation about this wonderful kingdom. Because after all, Jesus did say at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There is a cost for this kingdom. There is. Now, the main cost has already been borne by Jesus, the crucifixion, the payment for our sin. And yet, we also enter this kingdom as believers with the sufferings of Jesus. In Tyler's uh, uh, Jesus Changed My Life video, you're going to hear something about that. He doesn't say it directly, but that's essentially what his video is about. And Paul says the same thing in Philippians chapter 3. Listen to this passage in Philippians chapter 3. Paul writes, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Sounds like those parables we just read. In order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, because that's impossible, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, Jesus, and the, and the power of the resurrection. Yes, I want to know Jesus and the power of the resurrection. We're doing good so far, Paul, but this next clause, and that I might share in his sufferings. Uh, oh, 
becoming like him in his death. Oh, wow. And Paul says, for this, it is that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I'll do anything to be a part of this kingdom. So the second contrast that we see in this, my will, your will versus God's will. You know, we love agency. We love the notion of free will. I have free will. We, we love the illusion of control. We hate any notion of determinism, or, uh, and we struggle with election. But the fact is, he, God, alone is sovereign. And though challenging at times, I understand, it is better for us to acknowledge his will rather than ours. And Jesus knows this all too well himself. Some of you are familiar with what I call Jesus' plan B prayer. Uh, Right before he's arrested, when he knows he's going to the cross, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying. and, And he says, Father, please let this cup pass from my hands, this cup of wrath that I am about to have poured out on me because of the sin of everybody. Please let this cup of wrath pass before me, but not my will, your will. In a sense, what he's praying is, God, Father, if there's a plan B, could we wheel that out and take a look at it right now? Because I'm not, I'm not that excited about plan A. But he ends his prayer with the acknowledgement and the submission of who his father is, but not my will, your will be done. And that's the end of the prayer. And he goes to the cross for us. And for Jesus, though the, the cross was awful, the results were magnificent. It's our salvation. And Jesus rejoices in that. Even though the, he's the one that paid the price, he rejoices. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us, fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning at shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. But this is a struggle, right? Our will or God's will? It seems like we're fighting this fight every single day, and we are. Our desires are God's desires. Our foolishness are God's love and wisdom for us. And Paul, again, also knows this all too well, and he teaches us, if you could turn to Romans chapter 7, Again, pause the video if you need to. Romans chapter 7. It's a fascinating uh, passage. I'm going to start in verse 14. Paul writes this. And and I've referred to this in the past. You got to slow down. You really got to follow what Paul is doing here. It's almost a little bit Dr. Seuss-ish, the way he talks and goes back and forth, but he's making... An incredibly important point in this passage. Starting in verse 14, Paul writes, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. He's speaking for all of us here. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. All of us can identify with that. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That it is good. The law is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. This is interesting. I don't know how many of you have ever read Robert Louis Stevenson's little novella, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, or The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It's a short little novel, maybe 90 pages. 
It's an allegory of Romans chapter 7. Think about it that way. Verse 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Can you identify with that? For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells within my members. And then here's the payoff. Wretched man that I am. Here's Paul just absolutely throwing himself down at the throne of grace before Jesus and saying, I've got nothing else. There's nothing else I can do. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's who will deliver us from our bodies of death, from this sin. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And then chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't know how you can make it any plainer. To be in Christ is, is to is to take care of all the sin that we have in our lives, the sin that we still keep doing, even though we know Jesus. But we're in Christ. That's the only hope that we have. The only way that we can win this battle is through Christ in us. Paul says, I love the law. The law, though good and spiritual, however, can't deliver people from their slavery to sin. Only Jesus can do that. And by the way, some people think this is Paul trying to absolve himself of responsibility and accountability for his sin. Far from it. Rather, instead, what he's doing is he's saying, I'm pointing you to Jesus. That's the whole point of this. I'm pointing you to Jesus. That's why verse 25 is so important. That's why chapter 8, verse 1 is so important. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the gospel. It's the blood of the Lamb. I've talked about this before. Some of you will know. Others of you will be new to this. Uh, Dr. Henry Cloud, who is a Christian psychologist, and he's written a bunch of books, and he does all kinds of leadership seminars. I've been to several of them, read his books. Uh, he talks about how in this world, there are wise people, there are foolish people, and then he says, then there's the 1%. And, and he usually puts this up on a board, but you'll get it here. About 5% of the people are wise. And he describes the, the people who are wise as they're the ones who are seeking after God's will and submitting their lives to God's will and adapting their lives to God's will. Those are the wise people. It's Paul in, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, uh, saying that um, uh, you shouldn't be foolish but rather you should understand and embrace and submit to the will of God. It's, it's, it's Cloud's uh, sort of explication of Ephesians 5.17. So that's 5% of the people. They're wise. They're submitting to God. They're chasing after uh, God's will. 94% of people, though, are foolish. Here's why they're foolish. And that's why this prayer, this verse in this prayer is so important. 94% of the people are saying, no, I want people to discover what my will is and I want everybody to submit to my will. And that's just foolishness. How many of us have been trying to do that? Getting people to submit to us, to our will, to our desires, to our mandates, to our edicts. 
And we're finding that that's really tough. Creates problems. That's foolishness. And then there's that 1%. Unfortunately, uh, Cloud gives us the truth. He says, about 1% are so determined that everybody's going to submit to their own will, to their own, quote, wisdom, that, that you actually have to try to get away, with, get away from them by calling the police or getting an attorney, something like that, because they are so bent on doing that, unfortunately. So last, let's talk about the last part of this verse, this prayer, the kingdom of heaven coming here on earth. So what would that look like? What does that mean, heaven here on earth? You know, sometimes you and I use that phrase, heaven on earth, to describe a pleasurable experience or something that we see as good and pure or Zinberger. On the other hand, some people think about this notion of heaven on earth and we dismiss the idea out of hand because we look at the overwhelming sin and injustice and wickedness that we live with in this world and we throw up our hands and we say, that's impossible, never going to happen. But Jesus has a whole other idea about this kingdom on earth. The presence of God's kingdom here on earth in the midst of sin, darkness, corruption, and fear actually refers to the reign of Christ in the minds, hearts, hands, and feats, feats, feet of believers. It's the reign of Christ in our minds, in our hearts, in our hands, and in our footies. How's that? See, our call and our prayer is that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would increasingly, as God's people, we would increasingly reflect God's love, grace, justice, mercy, obedience, and honor, and we would proclaim his good news. And it's not going to be perfect. I mean, it's certainly not. This world is dark and corrupt. But we must, we are called as God's people, to give the world a foretaste of what the kingdom of heaven looks like. This beauty that we're going to have in in eternity, we're called to give the world a foretaste of that. And we need to remember that this, this prayer is certainly not a prayer that says, God, get me out of here. But rather a prayer that says, God, be with me here so that I might reflect your goodness and your grace and your mercy. Be with me here. The world should look at the church and look at our friendships and our community and our love and our forgiveness and our marriages and our contentment and the world should see something radically different. And by the way, a good different, not an odd different. It's something like a a wolf and a lamb sharing a meal. So now pause and turn to Isaiah chapter 11 which is what Stephanie read for us. Let me just read those verses again. Isaiah writes, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, which it did. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord 
And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Our delight should, should be in the fear of the Lord. Uh, the rest of verse 3 sounds like, uh, I think, um, pretty good advice for us when we're on the internet. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And then here you go. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea." There's a lot going on in that passage, but one of the things that's going on is reconciliation. The world has been blown apart and fragmented and broken by sin, and, and, and Jesus reconciles all of that. He restores it all. He brings it all back together. Jesus is the reconciliation of heaven and earth. That's why the, the mind of the believer has to be just painted with absorbed with Christ's mind, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. This reconciliation of heaven and earth, which the culmination is going to be the new Jerusalem. And we're going to experience that, but we need to be a part of it now, that foretaste. And we need to remember that Jesus is both the lion and the lamb. This is the gospel. And in order for this to happen, repentance is essential We have to turn away from our kingdom. We have to turn away from our will. And we have to embrace God's kingdom and his will. We have to embrace his Messiah, Jesus, the one that came from Jesse. And that way we can start on this this life of heaven on earth, of being a part of that. Repentance is essential, turning from and to. And prayer, according to all of God's prophets, prayer should always be accompanied by repentance. Just turn from our will to God's. Turn from our kingdom to God's kingdom. And that's why, by the way, we should pray pray this prayer all the time because we need to be reminded all the time. Jesus says, he announces, he proclaims, the time has come, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe. If you know Jesus, you're in the kingdom and we are the kingdom. But we must also remember it's still his kingdom. He reigns. There is no kingdom without the sovereign. There is no kingdom without the creator, the redeemer, the sustainer, the king himself. And it's helpful to remember that when we request, when we request in this prayer that his kingdom come, it is an all-out acknowledgement of the reality that our kingdoms are broken. They're not going to work. And I know this prayer can become routine. It should not. This prayer is not a routine mumbling. 
but it's an anguished cry for the Lord God to reign and be with us. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, it's really not that obscure. It simply means this. Church, be the church. Be the bride of Christ. Honor the groom. And it means Christ follower. Each of us individually, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and live our lives as an offering to God. And it means God, please be with us. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you for this prayer. We thank you for the reminder of what it is in our lives and how important it is to us and how it can become routine. It can become routine when we do routine things like washing our hands, but let, let those times when we're washing our hands or doing something else routine and we begin to recite this prayer, let those become sacred moments in our lives. Let us slow down and really think about the words of this prayer as we, as we say them. And God, let us just submit to your will and pine for your kingdom. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray that we'd be able to do that, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace forever and ever. Amen. God bless you all.